Hey guys, I wanted to share something with you. Rod Cleef's invited me and some other members of our multifamily mastermind group to join him in Chicago for a three-day event for apartment investors who are looking to get that slight edge to skyrocket their success. I'm about to share a link with you. It's also in the show notes because I truly want to see you join us in Chicago. It's rodcleef.com slash Adam Adams. The event is super affordable, but using that link will allow you to save an additional 20 to 30% off your ticket. I'd love to see you put yourself in the top 1% of successful multifamily syndicators by taking action right now while the prices are still low. Go to rodcleef.com slash Adam Adams. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Hello, hello. This is Adam Adams, host of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm very glad you're here. Today, I've got Andrew Campbell, who's going to share with us an out-of-box way that he's been adding value to his properties. As a side note, if this is your first episode you've ever come, I should share and let you know now that during this episode, I was using a different microphone than normal, and the show quality, the sound quality on the shows is generally a lot higher. Um, if you've been a loyal listener, I just ask that you make sure that you're subscribed to the show and please leave us a rating. So Andrew owns a portfolio north of $70 million, and it's only taken him about a year and a half to get there. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, no, again, thanks for having me. Looking forward to, to the conversation. Um, I do want to preface and say, you know, we've been kind of syndicating deals for about the last year and a half. Uh, prior to that, we had a, a portfolio uh, that we had built out ourselves over about four or five years that had got about 75 units. Um, so it's true, and we've done you know 700 units, uh, and you know the smallest is 192. But we had you know multiple years and properties that we had done ourselves with our own capital, um, you know, kind of duplexes and fourplexes along the way. That I think you know helped us learn the business uh, and got us comfortable and, and ready to launch into the space you know, where we're now we're, we're doing the larger deals and partner with investors. Who's we? Uh, we is my business partner uh, and I. Okay, okay, <laughs> perfect. And it's been the same business partner with the 75 units that it is with the recent 700 units, right? Uh, no. So the okay. seven, the 75 units was just, I was doing that myself uh, with my brother, just kind of, you know, for fun on the side while we had jobs. And then when okay. we kind of, when I transitioned over into doing this full time and syndicating deals uh, at, at a conference, similar to the way you and I met, you know, met a, a guy that had similar interests, you know, same way you and I sat down and started talking. I was like, Hey man, we got a lot of the same interest, passion, focus, focus points uh, with very complementary skill sets. Let's partner up. And, and that's gone really well. That is great. Um, so, one, I want to kind of just pause for a moment and talk about the $70 million of real estate that you have purchased in the last year and a half. Um, as far as raising money, if you wouldn't mind, how yeah. much money is that that you had to raise from private equity partners and how much is from banks? Yeah, well, the, on the, the equity side, across those three, it's about $25 million uh, that, that's been raised. Um, and then you know, the, the rest of that has been from you know, uh, loans from banks. Okay, awesome. And before, when you did your 75 units for the four to five years with your brother, mm -hmm. you said that that was all your own capital. So raising money is relatively new for yeah. you but you've been able to raise $25 million so far. So what would you say to the audience is 
the number one thing that has helped you to be able to raise 25 million to get the credibility on these last three deals you, you've done? Well, I, th- I think the first thing is just recognizing, understanding that, that this is a total team sport, you know, so that hasn't been me out there personally raising $25 million. Uh, you know, I mentioned I've got a business partner. He and I are, are splitting things up. You know, we've brought in other partners uh, where necessary to help, help kind of fund the bridge those gaps and, and talk with some you know, different groups that want to bring larger checks. Um, so it's, I think leveraging, you know, the, the network you've got and the skill set and know that it's, it's a hundred percent team sport. And that, that's not a number that, that I've personally gone out and raised. Um, and actually, I don't know anybody kind of in this space that, that does it all solely, you know, by themselves. It's, you've got to have, have partners. Awesome. What's your role in the team? Uh, so my primary focus is acquisitions uh, and equity. So I think I kind of look at it, anything having to do with relationships, you know, so I want to be stay out in front of, of brokers and build the best relationships possible there so that we're getting first cracks and early looks at deals. Uh, and then, you know, on the equity side, you know, meeting with investors, constantly kind of talking to new people and, and groups and uh, folks that may be interested in investing. And then, like I said, the, the partners, you know, so having conversations with people that may want to come work with us and, and partner on deals and, and they, you know, go help raise some of the, some of the equity as well and, and be, you know, partner with us. I love that. That's, that's really great. And I actually have been thinking about doing the same thing for some time. And I thought I was a genius and that I was the only one doing this. I recently found out that Joe Fairless does this. And now today uh, I'm finding out that it's not a new strategy that I was coming up with. So I, I really like that. Would you mind going into that just on one more level to explain to the audience how they might be able to work with somebody like you, me, or Joe, who is offering those that to other people? Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, the two big groups within, as you put together a, a bigger deal like this, uh, there's limited partners and there's general partners, you know, limited partners are the passive investors that are, you know, investing the hundred thousand million dollars, whatever it is. Uh, for a piece of, of ownership into the deal. And there's the general partners and we are the ones that are doing the work, finding the deal, putting it together. Um, and you, know, you, you partner and bring in additional general partners. So that's typically a group of, you know, somewhere between two and five, six people that are you know, doing the work. Um, you know, we talked about the way my partner and I kind of divide up the work. I mean, he's, he does a lot of the asset management. He's doing a lot of the construction management and, you know, really staying on top of the details and the budgeting. Um, all that's work that has to get done. Um, so as you bring in folks to help do some of those roles, uh, you divide up that that general partnership piece of the pie with with those folks. If I wanted to be working with you, Andrew, and I wanted and I thought I could raise a certain amount of money, how would that conversation go between you and me? Uh, you know, it starts with a relationship number one. So I think it's it's something that you know we've are very intentional about the the relationships we build and the folks that we want to work with, knowing mm-hmm. that it's going to be a you know a long term, even if it's just this one project, right? This is something a project we're going to be in for you know three to five years. Um, I think so. So starting there, you know, having a conversation about you know who you are and kind of what your your track record and experience has been, um, and then kind of reviewing the the roles and, and and responsibilities that that you've had in the past in different deals if you've had some, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of reviewing all the the regulations around sort of what the SEC requirements are. You a broker dealer? Do you have your license or not? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of details. But it starts with you know a conversation and start building a relationship and. You know, always, I always, when we have those conversations, like to say, look, I think it would make a lot of sense to me is if you would invest in a deal as a limited partner, you know, even a small amount, the minimum on, so we can get to know each other and you can okay. get to see how we, uh, we work together and you can see how we operate deals as Wildhorn. 
okay. and then you know puts us in a good position on a previous on a future deal to uh, to perhaps partner together. I want to clarify that if that maybe if I was wanting to work with you and do this, you would ask me to be an LP before I raised money on the GP side. It's not a requirement. Um, it's just okay. you know one of the things that, that we've talked about. I, I think it's a good way, and you, you talk about the spirit of relationship. Um, you know, for you, let's, let's say Adam, you wanted to do that with us, give you a chance as an investor to see you know how do we communicate, how do we operate deals. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the the first step. It it can be a good first step. You know, before uh, in dating, you know, kind of before you go get married and and Great. really partner. Great. I, I like the wisdom behind it. Let me ask you, are you typically doing a 506B or a 506C offering? We've done all 506B um, and okay. primarily for, for the reason of keeping it a little bit um, easier on, on the investor side. You know, there's not as much, you know, they don't, they don't have to fill out all the accreditation. They have to check the box, say they are accredited, but they don't have to send us their financial statements. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's why we've, we've gone that route. Great. And so let's get into your, well, first off, what made you feel so comfortable to make your smallest of the last three deals from going from 75 units total to uh, accomplishing the smallest of three being 192? That's a huge number to a lot of people. So can you kind of talk about the psychology that went into opening your mind to that? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it started with having that good base of, you know, a, a personal portfolio of 75 units that, you know, we had managed, we had bought, we had rehab, seen the, seen the business model play out mm-hmm. and you kind of fell in love with the business. And, and I, I tell people all the time in real estate, it's a lot like crack, you know, I, I got addicted and you wanted to find a way to continue to do that more and more and, you know, get out of my day job and felt like you know, we were running out of our own runway as far as, you know, being able to go get more loans and capital, you know, to continue to do those. Mm-hmm. We also saw that, you know, the bigger properties were scaling better. So we had some single family, some duplexes, the fourplexes, you know, and the more doors you had together, the, the better they operated. Um, right. So it made sense once we decided we were going to make the leap. Uh, in my mind, I was comfortable with the business model. The, the thing we hadn't done was raise money. Um, well, if we're going to go raise money, let's, let's go see how much we can raise and do a bigger deal knowing they were going to operate better. And we'd kind of circled, you know, 125, 150 units as sort of the minimum. Um, just having talked with our property manager partners and where did things really start to get efficient? It was at that level. And the fact that it was 192 units, just more of a a happenstance than it was like a goal to like, let's really get close to 200 units. Was that your first of the three? Yeah. Uh, could we go into more detail then on how you raised the equity for that first deal and how, and did it feel comfortable? Was it scary? It was, were you, did you come real, real close? Did you think you were going to lose it? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was scary as hell. I mean, it was very intimidating. So it was about a six and a half million dollar raise, uh, for that project, um, you know, obviously one of the things you're constantly weighing in this business is you, it's chicken and egg. You know, you can't go raise the money, uh, cause we're not doing a blind fund. You can't go raise the money until you have something under contract. Yep. Well, once I put it on a contract, I damn well need to close it. You know, this is a relationship business and you've got to perform, yep. uh, particularly as you're coming out of the shoot, you know, you gotta be known as somebody that, that, that closes deals. So that was very intimidating and, and, uh, but we also had the confidence we could do it. And, and again, back to team sport, you know, we, we knew that we had enough contacts and relationships that, that we'd get there. And it was also, 
something that we'd been talking about with people for a long time. So okay. we, we had a list of folks we knew were likely investors uh, because we'd been talking to them consistently and intentionally for months. Okay. Um, and I'm out looking for, for deals here. Um, and when we get one, we, you know, we want you to love it if you'd partner with us. Well, on the numbers for that deal, you said it was $6 million on the raise. Um, what was the total purchase? Purchase was a little over $16 million. Okay. On, on that, what was your going in cap rate? Uh, I think the going in cap rate there was a 5.3. What market was it in? San Antonio. What's the average cap in San Antonio? Uh, I think somewhere between you know five five to six, depending on your know, exact location, uh, you know asset type. And so, to some people that don't know the rest of the story, it sounds like you just bought a deal for market value. So the question would be, uh, what did you do for the value add component that mm -hmm. made this a great deal enough to raise six million dollars? Yeah, well, I think I think it does come back to the story for on the property, and you know, for me as a as a marketing guy, it always it always comes down to what's the story. I mean, obviously, the numbers need to check out. Uh, that particular property was had been owned by a REIT. Um, they they were selling it because their loan was coming due. Uh, it was in a really really good strong location, you know, B plus kind of A minus location. Uh, but a REIT's business model is to maintain it and manage it, but they don't upgrade it. So it was truly kind of a blank canvas for us to come in and update the interiors, but as well as execute a lot of sort of exterior value add programs that were going to allow us to, to push the NOI. What kind of exterior value add programs were available to you on this deal? Um, so we are putting in, or we have put in reserve parking. Um, so you're just selling a, a reserve parking spot, um, some private yards or pet yards, you know, on first floor units that are, that are flat. You, you can get a, a good, you know, kind of 80 to a hundred dollar bump on those. Uh, we implemented a trash valet program, so five nights a week, you know, they, we come pick up your trash uh, at the at the prop at your door, um, and that's a I think that's a real good picture of a, of a win win scenario. You know, we we were able to make some income off of it. We we charge twenty five dollars a month. It costs us about twelve dollars a month, uh, but the property stays clean. You know, certainly gets super hot in Texas. You don't have to haul the trash to a smelly dumpster. Uh, that's, you know, multiple buildings away. Um, so those are three of the three of the, the exterior value adds. Great. So for the so for the value add on the trash valet, how does that work? You said it's $25 for the tenant. Mm -hmm. It costs you 12 for the tenant. So you have a little bit of spread 13 mm -hmm. bucks per person. And that's a monthly cost. How frequently are is the trash valet coming by to pick this up? Uh, five days a week. So Sunday to Thursday night uh, between I think it's 6 and 8 p.m. You, you set a there's a trash bucket and a recycle bucket set it right outside your door and then the the, the company that we use comes in and, and hauls it away. And it doesn't need to go anywhere farther than just right outside your front door of each of yep. the units. Perfect. Right. I like that. And then uh, the real reason now that we're here to the good stuff the real reasons why I had you wanted to come on is I wanted to talk about repositioning a property through rebranding. Mm -hmm. um, did this first 192 unit go through the same rebranding structure? 
Yeah, everything we've done uh, to date has, and I, you know, I think um, number one, it's it's important to to in in our opinion come in and kind of reset the tone from mm. from day one with the with the residents and with the local community. Yeah, it wasn't a property that had a bad reputation, but it was you know it was, it was a little bit tired. Um, so our our plan is the day we take over, you know, we come in with a, with our property manager, say it's under new management, new ownership, and we have a new name. Um, so from, from the initial get-go, we've rebranded it and it sort of signifies changes that are coming, you know, and, and we start talking about what we're going to do to, to improve the property. We're going to paint the exterior, update the gym, et cetera, whatever the you'll, plan is. You'll discuss the plan with the tenants. We, we do. We start, to, we start to highlight that. And certainly as we're having, you know, in the leasing center, uh, have conversations with, with new resident, potential residents, but also the existing ones. Hey, here's our plan. You know, we're going to we're gonna fix the pool area. We're going to get rid of the, the gym area. We're going to update, update that. Um, whatever the specific plan is, I think having a new name, you know, really signifies in a, in a logo and, you know, some colors and things allows you to it's going to take us five or six months to get that work completed. But from the very beginning, we can start talking about that vision and breathe some excitement, you know, f again, for both, you know, potential new residents, but also the existing residents say, Hey, we're about to make your home, you know, a lot nicer. Great. Uh, what would you say if, if there are three things, what would you say are the top three things that rebranding does for your bottom line and, or, the residents. Sure. Well, I think, you know, number one, we talked about it, it, just, it resets everything. So if you have, if you're buying a property that's got, you know, questionable online reviews and ratings, you're, you're erasing all of that. So this was, you know, called the, the, the park and now it's called city square. Uh, you know, city square has zero reputation so far. So, so it's up to us and our management team to make sure that that's a good experience and a good reputation online. Right. Um, it definitely, you know, I think signifies on site again, we talked about like what's happening. So changes are coming. Um, and it also gives us something to sort of build a brand around. So, you know, as we're in our due diligence and you know, I should mention, I've got an advertising degree, uh, as my undergrad. And so it's, I, I enjoy kind of the branding process, but it, we pick a name that has some sort of, you know, local historical connection to the area we're buying it in. Um, and then that allows us to build a story around it. So it, it's not super important, but you know, from day one, we have a new logo with a new color scheme and you know, we're going to go apply that across the property. Again, it just shows we're not just going to go repaint siding. If it's white, we're not going to paint it the same white. You know, I want it to be different because I want people to know as they drive by that this is a property that people are investing in and it's a place that you want to be because it's got new amenities, new, you know, the interiors look updated and nice and it's, it's different than it was before. Great. I, I like that a lot. Would you share with me what you're able to do because of that uh, on a bottom line standpoint? It, are rents going up by $100 because of the rebranding? Um, what are you seeing financially happen when you're doing this? Yeah, that, it's, a, it's a really interesting question and conversation we have a lot. I think it's very easy to quantify on the interiors. You know, if I'm mm -hmm. spending... $5,500, I'm going to get a $120 rent bump. All the exterior work, you know, rebranding, paint, updating your leasing center, your pool, it's really hard to quantify exactly what that's worth, yeah. right? 
Um, Part of our operating strategy is when we take over a property, we rebrand it and we hit the exteriors as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. Our our goal is within the first five or six months to be complete with that. Great. The idea is that then we can go, you know, we've now created a better looking community. We've updated the amenities. You know, if we've adding a dog park or pools, whatever it is, um, there are new amenities and across the board we can, we can justify higher rents across a hundred percent of the units versus right. just the ones you've touched on the interior. Perfect. But I can't tell you exactly, Hey, if you go rebrand, you're going to get $20 more per month per unit. It's that's yeah. a tough question. Okay. Perfect. Uh, before we go into the final five, what uh, was your day job? You mentioned that earlier. Um, what did you do before you got into all this? Yeah, so I've, I've got an advertising degree, spent about 10 years in ad agencies, um, you know, on the kind of the strategy side around, you know, brand strategy and, and what, what do people, what do consumers, you know, think of and want out of a brand. Uh, most recently to this, I was a, a partner at a tech consulting firm doing a lot of the same kind of research and strategy around emerging tech app development and phone, mobile phones and Perfect. All right. So we're going into the final five, but right after these messages. I'm Rod Cleef, and I'm host of the Lifetime Cash Flow to Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm also an apartment investor, and I've owned over 2,000 homes and apartments so far in my career. Now, on August 24th through the 26th, I'm going to be hosting a three day multifamily boot camp in Chicago. And I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel there with some other members of our multifamily mastermind group. Now, if you're like me and you realize you learn so much better in full immersion at a live event with no distractions and you actually want to do your next apartment deal within the next 90 days or so, you need to text multifamily to 41411 or go to multifamilybootcamp.com right now. Take massive action because this event's definitely going to sell out. We've got fantastic early bird pricing right now. So don't wait. Go to multifamilybootcamp.com or text the word multifamily to 41411. And Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th. All right, here we go. Number one, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? And that can even go back into those other 75 units. Yeah, I I think... um the most creative offer structure kind of the, we last month closed a 253 unit and we put an offer structure together that had an incentivized earnout clause for the seller. Um, they, it was related to a, a bulk cable program that they were rolling out. And there's a certain break even point that, you know, for profitability that if 66% of the units were enrolled in this program, it was sort of paid for itself at 75%. It made money at 85%. It made more money, et cetera. Um, so we put a, a tiered structure in place that incentivized them to have as many people as possible enrolled in that when we took it over okay. uh, so that we would capture that income and it would, it would apply towards our NOI from day one. Perfect. And I think that was the, the feedback I got was that was very interesting and unique. And like, how'd you come up with that idea? And I think it really helped, you know, tilt the scales in our favor. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What's a book that you recommend to the audience? Um, you know, the first real estate book that I read, you know, 12 years ago was Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Um, I think that's a great sort of foundational book that that really changes the way you, you, you look at the world and think about it. Uh, right now, I'm just finishing up Gary V's Crushing It, which I think is is great. Um, that came out already? When did yeah. that come uh, Probably in the last month. I mean, pretty, okay, okay. pretty recently. You, you definitely should read it. You're doing a lot of things right with your social. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. But where were you five years ago? Let's talk about uh, what year is it now? 2013. 20, what were 20, you doing? 2013. Uh, I was managing about 12, maybe 18 units of duplexes and fourplexes. Uh, I was working the, this consulting tech job, um, living in Austin, kind of daydreaming about building out my portfolio and, and you know, at 50 years old, being able to retire uh, with all my real estate holdings. Right. Are you going to get there when you're 50? Uh, no, because I don't, I don't plan to retire now. Like I've just <laughs> changed my thinking completely about what, what happiness is and, and you know, being able now to sort of work for myself on my own schedule. I, I plan to do this till I die. I love it. Where will you be in five years from today then? Um, sitting in the same desk, you know, doing the same type of, of work. You know, I, I think I've, I really do love the, the, the challenge and the job. I mean, I, you know, we hope to have a, a 10,000 unit portfolio. Uh, we hope to have a, a team of five to seven people, but we don't want to build out a huge corporate infrastructure around it. Um, you know, just kind of keep, keep doing great deals, finding, finding good opportunities and really create opportunities to connect with people. Um, you know, yourself, investors, brokers, just across the board. That, that's what I really enjoy doing. Thank you. How do you give back? Um, you know, we've got actually, we're getting ready to kick off with, with our properties. I've got a friend of mine that has started a, a nonprofit for terminally ill patients and is sort of granting a final wish. So sort of think of a, think of a make a wish type foundation, but it's for most, it's all terminally ill folks. And most of them are sort of adults, kind of an underserved need. And, and we have uh, putting in place that each one of our assets will sponsor one of those wishes uh, at least once a year. And I think that's, it really, it feels, it feels good to us to kind of be able to do that and create a, a last sort of memorable trip for folks. Great. Um, and something that, that we're excited to have roll out across the whole portfolio. Thank you. How long has that nonprofit of your friends for the terminally ill folks been in place? Uh, just a couple of years. You started it like two or three years ago. What's one story um, that on somebody's dying wish, what's one thing that you've, you, you might've heard that has happened for him, for his uh, business. Yeah, you know, it's um, just a lot of you know. Somebody wants they want to take a trip typically, and you know, it's it's going to be getting to create a lasting memory and, and photos. And, you know, and, and one, there was a trip recently where uh, they they did the trip, and then it was like several weeks later that the mom passed away. Mm. And it was you know, the, unfortunately, that's always the ending. Um, for these stories, yeah. but to be able to give that last sort of, you know, here, I want you guys to go have fun, make memories, take lots of pictures and enjoy yep. the time and not worry about anything is, is really rewarding. That's really cool. How do people get a hold of you? Um, you can email me. Uh, I'm Andrew at wildhorncap.com. Our company is Wildhorn Capital. Uh, but email is great. I'm, I'm active on bigger pockets. Facebook is, you know, Wildhorn Capitals on there as well. Uh, but email or, or Facebook. Andrew, thanks for being on the podcast today. You added a ton of value. It was fun doing the interview with you. I know you have to go, so I will wrap it up. But until next time, think outside the box. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our hope to add a ton of value to you. That said, Blue Spruce Holdings is excited to be offering investment opportunities to accredited investors. That link is in today's show notes. 